I want you to listen with me to a story this morning as we begin our long Lenten journey with Jesus to Good Friday and Holy Saturday and all that's next. It's in the Gospel of Mark. It's chapter 10. I just want you to listen first to the very beginning. It starts out like this. As he, that is Jesus, as he was setting out on a journey, as he was setting out on a journey, the previous nine chapters in Mark's Gospel turn to nearly any one of the stories included in it, and it begins with some sort of geographical designation. Just flip the page. Uh, Mark 6. He left that place and came to his hometown. Or uh, um, Mark 2, verse 1, when he returned to Capernaum. Or Mark 3, verse 7, Jesus departed with the disciples to the sea. Nearly every story in Mark's gospel begins with a geographical designation, a place, a location, a destination. You can find it with GPS. And then Mark shifts gears. In Mark 10, 17, as he was setting out on a journey, destination unknown, location not sure, nowhere on the GPS finder, as he was setting out on a journey. It's actually the word is as he was setting out on the way, which, you know, the gospel writers kind of make a big deal about that word, the way. Jesus, in Mark, uh, John's gospel, is known to have said, I am the way. Mark is shifting gears. Jesus is going on the way to make a way for us and for our salvation. Jesus was setting out on a journey. That's Lent. We go on a journey with Jesus during the season of Lent. We go the way with Jesus because he made the way. And along the way, Lent, I don't know, anybody know much about Lent? It's a 40-day season. People have sort of traditionally committed to fasting and prayer and giving to the poor. Mostly it's, it's known now for fasting. On the way, we give up of ourselves. We give up stuff. That's Lent. And then, this is just a pastoral aside. We'll get back to the sermon in just a minute. It, it, it's fascinating to me. One of two things happens during the season of Lent, it seems to me. We decide we're going to limit ourselves from something. We're going to fast from something, whatever it may be. And then we travel the 46, actually, days of Lent. And we get to Easter, and we feel so self-assured. We did it, and we return to the very thing we gave up. That's the celebration. That's so weird. You walk through Lent, you return to the thing you gave up, feeling self-assured, feeling self-sufficient. Or... You go through the season of Lent, you commit to fasting something, but you start playing games with yourself. Well, you know, you don't actually fast on Sundays. That's the day of the resurrection, and there's six of them in the season of Lent. So, you know, it's not a big deal about Sundays. Let's not get too tedious about it. Let's take those six days and use them up wherever we want. And then sooner or later, you start just giving up, giving in, and it's about an hour and a half into Lent, and you've already lost. <laughs> and you feel so much shame. You're bad. Well, what? Either one of two things happens. You walk through Lent and you end feeling so self-assured returning to the thing you gave up or feeling shame. What? I'm not picking on the fasting. Like, go ahead. I think you ought to. That's a good idea. I just wonder why. Why would you? 
Why would you give anything up at all? To make yourself feel better? Beat yourself up? There you go. I'm just wondering about the motivation. So during the season of Lent, we've got this theme, falling into love. Uh, There's a verse behind the theme. Uh, Joel and Kennedy have been reciting it for us. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me. That's why. He loves me. And he gave himself for me. He loves me. He wants more for you. He loves you. Uh, so as, as you come to the table today, uh, there'll be stations here and over there and then, and then in the narthex for those in the balcony. As you come to the table, you'll, you pass by. There's cards. I made cards. It's the greatest expression of my artistic capacity as I could find. It's black and white print. I used an interesting font. You can <laughs> grab a card. On, one, on the front side, it says, Falling into Love. On the back side, it's our verse, Galatians 2, 19, the second half, and 20. Uh, you don't have to do anything with it. This is not like, okay, you know, write it down or whatever. It's just an opportunity to remember. You're loved, so put it on your bathroom mirror, put it in your Bible, put it on your coffee table. He loves you. That's Lent. He loves you. Uh, so listen to the rest of the story. As he was setting out on the way, a man ran up and knelt before him and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. And the man said, I've kept all of these since my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And said, you do lack one thing. Sell your possessions Give the money to the poor. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Then come and follow me. And the man was shocked and went away grieving because he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said, How hard will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished. And Jesus said, how hard is it for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to enter the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed and said, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus said, for mortals, it is impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. Peter began to say, look, we've left everything and followed you. 
And Jesus said, Truly I tell you, no one who leaves house or brother or sister or father or mother or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news does not receive 100-fold now in this age houses, brothers, sisters, mothers and children and fields and in the age to come eternal life. For many who are first will be last and the last will be first. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's Mark 10, 17 through 31. You might find it in a Bible near you. So in just a minute, we're going to come to the table. You'll be given a piece of bread. You'll dip it in the cup. You'll eat it immediately. On your way to, the, to return to your seats, you can grab a card. On the front side, it says, Falling into love. On the back side is our verse. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. He loves me. That's Lent. So the guy asks this question. Fascinating question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You get the feeling he's anxious. You get the feeling he's nervous. He's carrying some sort of angst. He runs up to him. That's what it says. He ran up to him and knelt before him. Not the stereotypical posture of a man who's got it all together, who's got all he needs, wealth, and has done everything he needs to do, religiosity. He runs up to the man. He kneels before him. What must I do? And with the wealth and with the religiosity come a certain amount of social status, prominence in the community. He had all he needed. He had done all he needed to do, and everyone looked up to him for it. But still there was an ache. Still there was a sadness. Still something was missing. What must I do? Anybody been there? You got plenty of of friends, but you're lonely. You've got all kinds of resources, but you're insecure. And no amount of Facebook likes or Twitter retweets or Snapchat streaks seem to be doing anything about it. What must I do? Sooner or later, we're all invited to ask questions about ultimate meaning. Is this all? Is this it? Is there anything more? It was sort of common in first century Israel to assume anyone who had possessions, anyone who had wealth, was being blessed by God for their good behavior. So of course the man is rich. He'd kept the law since his youth. And on the flip side, of course, if anything was wrong, illness or circumstances were overwhelming, well, what did you do? What have you done? What passed? We get it if, if, if there's something wrong, if you, you kneel before Jesus and you beg, what must I do? But when, you're, when you've got it all together, when everything's great, when everything's fine, that's not the time we think to run and kneel and beg, what must I do? Fortunately, first century, this is 21st century North America, we would never reduce the gospel to transaction like that. 
We would never think God will bless me because all that I've done. We would never do that. Do you know, sarcasm's not very helpful, is it? <laughs> we do that. I've got it in our minds that God kind of owes me because I've been decent. I mean, there's a few blemishes on the resume, but mostly the trajectory is upward. And then sooner or later, sooner or later, and you know it as well as I do, sooner or later, no matter what you've done and how much you have and any status and prominence you've achieved, it just doesn't satisfy. You know what I'm saying? It just it doesn't fulfill on its promise. And you find yourself with the rich man on your knees. What must I do? There's got to be something more. There must be something more. And then the answer Jesus gives is stunning to me. Basically, Jesus says, yeah, you're right. <laughs> no coddling. Oh, buddy, come here. He just says, yeah, you're right. You lack one thing. You don't have it all together, man. Sorry. The guy runs up to Jesus and asks the evangelist dream question. Any average evangelist would jump on this thing. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And we know the right answer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That's the right answer. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's the right answer. Then anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the right answer. And Jesus doesn't give it. It's not that hard. He's begging Jesus. Just tell him. You know what Jesus said? Jesus starts poking around. Jesus starts pushing. Jesus starts leaning in. Yeah, actually, yeah, you're right. It's too bad for you. You do lack one thing. I have an idea. Why don't you sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, then come and follow me. Had Jesus given him the right answer, the man would have had all he needed, would have done all he needed to do, and would know everything he needs to know and be as far away from Christ as if he had none of it. Jesus says, be with me. Be with me. Be with me. You lack one thing. Sell your possessions. Mark is playing with words, actually. The man goes away grieving because he had many possessions. He was, in other words, he was clutching, grasping, clasping, holding on to many possessions. And then Jesus takes it a step further in verse 23. Jesus says, how hard will it be for those who have wealth, who have wealth, in other words, who put their faith in wealth, who trust their wealth, who love their wealth. Mark says he was clutching, grasping, holding on. Jesus says, oh no, it's worse than that. You love your wealth. You, put your tr you think your wealth will save you. And then he goes on to have this really complicated conversation about wealth. I'm reading this thing, preparing to preach all week long, thinking, oh, man, can't wait for Sunday. Starts talking about camels, 
in the eye of a needle, and any sort of exegetical gymnastics you want to do, it's a needle, like a sewing needle, and a camel. This is not about some gate in the temple, and a camel could probably fit through if it really shimmied. This is impossible. It can't happen. And there's a bunch, I mean, the disciples are like, what? Then who can be saved? And Jesus says, well, you're not going to save yourself. That's not exactly what he says. He says, for mortals, it is impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. And then he goes on to extend what it means to be wealthy. It's not just about who has more money, or in this case, land. It's about houses, brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, children. He expand, we are so quick to locate our affections in anything. Easy to sit here on a Sunday and say, yeah, them, over there, they're the ones. And Jesus is like, mm-mm, it's you in here now. We are so quick to locate our affections in any number of things. The things themselves aren't bad. The stuff isn't the problem. And those who haven't aren't somehow less than. It's each of us and all of us locating our affections in those things. That's the challenge. Give it away, Jesus says. Give it away. Not because it's bad or you're bad, but because you love it. It's be, be with me. Be with me. All right, do you, am I the only one who thinks this way? When I retire, then. Well, once I get the promotion, well, as soon as it's published, well, when we get married. So easy to locate our affections in that which never satisfies. Jesus says, be with me. Be with me. I was watching the Michigan State-Maryland basketball game last night. Anybody else watch the game? Michigan State pummeled them. I mean, just demolished them. The game was so boring that the broadcasters had to make up other things to talk about. So they, they started telling a story about the point guard from Maryland, Anthony Cowan. He was starting his 128th game. That's like, it broke all of Maryland school's records. He, they call him the Iron Man. He just keeps, he's the Energizer Bunny, just keeps going and going. He started his 128th game. And that week, Cal Ripken Jr., do you, have you heard of that name? Cal Ripken Jr., the shortstop for the Baltimore Orioles, who had played 2,632 games in a row. He's the original Iron Man. Cal Ripken Jr., called Anthony Cowan this week to congratulate him. And the broadcaster interviewing Anthony Cowan said, what was it like to have Cal Ripken Jr. call you on the phone? And Anthony Cowan said, well, actually, I had no idea who he was. I had to ask my dad. Cal Ripken Jr.? Cal Ripken Jr.? You have no idea who he is? Just like that. Just like that. It's gone. 
It's gone. What's his name again? What's that guy again? So quickly we locate our sense of worth and value, our affections and things that never satisfy. They don't satisfy. They don't fulfill on their promise. They never do. Jesus says, be with me. Give it away. It's not bad. You're not bad. I want to be with you. He doesn't give him the right answer. He wants his heart. Give it away. Give it away. Give it away. The thing that makes your palms sweat and your stomach spin at the mere suggestion of losing it, that's the thing. It's not bad, necessarily. You're not bad. Be with me. Be with me. The guy asked this question, the evangelist's dream question. What must I do? And Jesus doesn't give him the right answer. Jesus says, be with me. So give it away. Uh, and there, there's this interesting, I think, stunning rationale as to why. It's between the question and the answer. Jesus has just recited the commands. He said to him, Teacher, I've kept all these since my youth, and then here it is. This is verse 21. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. That's why. Give it away because I love you. Give it away because I love you. It's, not, it's going to hurt you. It's going to disappoint you. In the end, it won't satisfy. I love you too much to let you just go on holding on. I love you. Looking at him, he loved him. That's the gospel. I love you. In the beginning, God made the world and said, it's good. He came down to Abram and said, I'll be your God. You'll be my people. He sent the prophets, come back to me. And in the fullness of time, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to go the way, to make a way for us and for our salvation. The way of the cross, the grave, and resurrection. And one day, he promises to come again to make it all new and make it all right. And there's a single reason why. He loves you. For God so loved the world, he gave. That's why. So give it away. Give it away. It's not to remove the call of discipleship on our lives. It's to invite us to reorient our lives. Don't hold on. Don't grasp and clasp and put your faith. Give it away. There's so much more. This is why we sing songs like amazing love. Oh, how he loves you and me. In a few minutes, we're going to sing the song, His Love. How does that go again? One thing remains. Remember the last time we sang this song? I was one day off a trip to Uganda. <laughs> I came here. We sang that song in Uganda. I wanted you to sing it here. And I invited you all to stand and raise your hands and dance. Remember this? Yeah, you're forgetting? You're trying to forget this? <laughs> Frankly, I'm trying to forget that. Y'all look so bad. It was embarrassing <laughs> to the whole kingdom. Your love never fails, it never gives up. That's the gospel. Because he loves you. So give it away. Give it away. Give it up. What do you, what do you think? Self-sufficiency never satisfies. Be with me. I love you. Can I end with a poem? I mean, I'm going to end with a poem. 
It's a haunting poem. It's a complicated poem. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk across the desert on your knees for hundreds of miles repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Meanwhile, I don't know, uh, tell me about despair, yours. I'll tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese high in the clean blue air are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over announcing your place in the family of things. I love that. Announcing your place in the family of things. Your place in the family of things? Your place. He loves you. That's your place. He loves you. You don't have to be good. Amen? Amen. Amen. And here at the table, the God who loves you shows up again shows up here because he loves you. He loves you. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we gather from lots of different places on a Sunday. Some of us, it's all of the energy we have just to to get here. Some of us show up with tons of questions, lots of doubt. Others eager, it's, it's Lent. We come from so many places, and yet each of us, all of us, need one thing, the unending, unrelenting love that you offer and make known in your Son, Jesus Christ, who loves us and gave himself for us. So meet us at the table, Lord. Meet us here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.